It's good to be with everybody tonight. If you have your Bible, you can go back to the book of 1 Peter, and we'll be in chapter 2 this evening. We'll start there in just a second. I wanted to uh, begin tonight with a, one of those uh, sad and yet happy moments. Um, dear sister in Christ, Marilyn Gorris, who I mentioned to many of you a year ago when we were just a little launch team that was starting out, I shared with you um, a lady who voluntarily um, prayed for our church probably every day um, and gave financially out of what she had to support our church just getting started. Um, and I was sharing with you what a blessing that her faithfulness in her 90 years, um, what her faithfulness in Christ was uh, to the Lord and to us. Um, she passed away uh, this week. She has gone home to be with Jesus. And um, I just wanted to, to honor her and say again how much I appreciate her um, and her family and what she has done over this last year for our church. Um, but we are thankful for her. She has gone home. She is seeing Jesus in a way that we can only imagine now currently. Um, but at the same time, uh, our hearts do go out to Tim and Lynn Gorris, um, her son and daughter-in-law and their extended family, and uh, our prayers are with them as they Again, grieve her loss, but man, she is in an awesome place that we can only imagine, so we're thankful for her tonight. We do um, tonight return to the series that we've been going through for the better part of this summer, which I've called Faith Refined by Fire. Certainly, it has been a season of life of our faith being refined by fire, and we come back to the Word of God tonight to let it burn within us as well tonight, and you'll see what I mean as we go forward. Let's go to 1 Peter in chapter 2. I'm going to read for us this whole passage that we'll be studying tonight. This is verses 13 all the way through 25. Hear the Word of God. The first part says this in verse 13, "'Be subject to the, for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. First section. If that wasn't enough, here we go. Second section. Servants, or generally translated slaves, and it does mean both, and we'll get into that. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to those, to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For through this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in His steps. And here now is the most important, this third part that, that binds it all together. He, that is Jesus, committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, 
that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Well, this is a hard-hitting passage, is it not? At a hard-hitting time. Um, I don't have to recite to you all the things that have happened in our country in the last five months, but I hope you can see even in initially reading the Scripture how God's Word speaks to the issues of our day just as it did when it was first written. It spoke to those issues as well. Um, I am thankful to God for His Word, and I'm thankful to be your pastor, and I'm thankful to be your pastor of this church even when we get to read the tough Scriptures like these. And I will say up front… Nothing about preaching this passage is easy except for talking about Jesus and the grace and the hope that we have in Jesus. Um, And if you don't like what I say, some aspect of what I say tonight, I would appeal to what you just read, love the brotherhood, love me. Um, If you don't love what God said, which is obviously what matters, um, if you would like to talk more about this passage or study it together or pray together, I would love to make myself available to any of you at any time just to study the Scripture together. Um, With that said, let's open just in a brief word of prayer as we look to the Scripture tonight. Heavenly Father, God, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that it is perfect. We thank You that even when we suffer, and in this case in particular, when we suffer unjustly under the worst of circumstances, Lord, we can trust You. We look to You. We look to your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, and we give Him all honor tonight. Open our ears to hear, Lord, and change our lives afresh as we hear from your Word tonight. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It is important as we look at a passage like this, I just want to give you a couple of context, a couple of clues as we're jumping in. Three, um, just so you know real briefly kind of what is going on here. The first is this. The two verses right before what I just read that I didn't read, verses 11 and 12, both uh, of those verses give us this really important idea. It says, this world is not our eternal home. We are exiles. We are travelers. We are here temporarily. But while we are here, we ought to do everything we can with our words and our lives to make the good news of Jesus known to others. And the Scripture literally says um, that they might, that those who don't know God might see your good works in suffering and glorify God. Okay, that's the first kind of idea that wraps this whole passage. The second, though, is throughout the book of 1 Peter, uh, Peter is telling us that we as Christians, because of what Jesus has done for us, we are called to follow in His footsteps and to be patient, to be faithful specifically when we go through difficult circumstances, when we suffer. And the passage tonight is not like a little bit of suffering. It is mega suffering that is being described. And the third context that wraps all of this, that we get not only from this passage, that we get from 1 Peter, that we get from the Word of God from beginning to end, is the reality of the gospel. That Jesus Christ, who never sinned in His entire life, came to earth perfect, fully God, fully man, with no sin, lived the perfect life, and then died on a cross to pay the penalty for my sins and for yours and for anybody who will believe. And that after he died and suffered the eternal judgment and justice of a holy God that we deserve to pay, he rose again from the dead. 
He is not dead. He is alive. He is not an old God. He is not a part of history. He is alive today. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God as King of kings and Lord of lords and emperor of all emperors for all time. And our hope is in him. And so when we face suffering, when we face dishonor, we can look to Jesus who brings hope and life. The scripture says, by his wounds we are healed. That is the context with which we enter into this scripture. Three very clear points open up from the scripture that I read. The first is this, be subject, number one, if you're taking notes, be subject to the emperor for the Lord's sake. That is verses 13 through 17. I'm just going to read the first two once again to tick you off right, one more time. If I haven't yet, I will. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Be subject. It is the word submit. It is the same word in Greek. It gets translated into English as either word. We will see both appear. Be subject, submit. It means to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. It means to humble yourselves, it means to surrender, it means to die to ourselves and our comforts and to put ourselves in submission to, in this case, maybe somebody that you don't want to be in submission to. This is part of a a mini-series that Peter is now going to give us that includes being in submission to government, slave masters, it's going to talk about wives and husbands and that relationship in the next passage, and then it's even going to talk about Christians within the church and leaders within the church submitting to, honoring, and respecting one another. And we are called to submit, it is important to remember, out of, the basis of it is our freedom in Christ, says the Scripture, and our royal status is what Peter had just established in the previous passage. That is what it comes out of. We're told that these emperors, these governors, these rulers, that they are sent by God to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. That sounds good, right? We want that. That's good stuff. Remember, when they fail, though, and they will, that all of these people, that they are, like you, made in the image of God, that they are all people appointed by God to their roles of authority. So Christians are to show honor. Christians are to be law-abiding citizens, Christians, followers of Jesus, are to respect, honor, submit to their parents, amen, their bosses, (laughs) their teachers. They are to respect the police. They are to respect the government. They are to respect the president, the senators, the Supreme Court justices who are there to secure, among other things, their freedoms and their rights. Well, why? Why? The Scripture gives a very clear, singular, and important answer. For the Lord's sake, it says. You are doing it for Him, ultimately, and not for them. Fear God, it says. Fear God, number one, on top, and honor the emperor, number two. Even when the people who occupy the office are broken, wicked, unjust, do things that you don't like, do things that you disagree with, they are still and have been appointed by God. Not because they're better than you, not because they own you, but because you choose to submit to these authorities for God's sake. You feel the tension? You see the tension? 
This is interactive. Unless you throw things at me, this is going to be interactive. Now, you feel the tension? All right, well, let's create some tension. So what about when those authorities don't secure my rights? Yeah? What about when a corrupt cop puts his knee on the neck of a man, a black man, until he dies? What do you do then? What about when freedom of religion in this country or any other comes under attack? What about when freedom of religion comes under attack in all three branches of government? What about when children are murdered by the million by government-incentivized abortion? What do you do? How do you submit to presidents, senators, Supreme Court justices, governors whose lives and decisions and beliefs and actions you don't always support or agree with, or maybe you don't ever support or agree with them. And let me just be super clear for those who are here, online, and and anywhere, that our current president, President Trump, and any president before him, all the way back to George Washington, they do not equal, they do not represent the gospel. They do not represent Christianity. They do not represent the Bible. Jesus does. They are not the same thing. That Peter didn't approve of his emperor um, is the understatement of the millennium. And that is so important for us to understand what's going on here. Peter could not have endorsed his emperor. Peter would not have voted for his emperor. He did not get the chance. But even if he had the chance to vote, he would not have chosen him. In Rome, like Modern-day places such as North Korea and other countries today, you are brainwashed, you were brainwashed from birth and told to worship the emperor as God. There was no separation of church and state, or to be more specific, there was no separation of religion and state. If you said, if you said, Jesus is Lord, you would be killed and they would do terrible things to your family. Christians today in countries like Afghanistan, China, Iran, Syria, Libya, North Korea, to name a few of the many, Christians worship underground at threat of persecution and of death. And so we ought to, at the very beginning, be reminded to pray for believers around the world, not in the past, but today, right now, who are living under persecution. Pray, brothers and sisters, for the persecuted church as they face things that we cannot possibly imagine. Peter writes his letter that we are reading in 63 AD. There were three emperors who ruled after Jesus' resurrection from the dead and before uh, Peter himself is going to die, and we'll talk about that. The three emperors were Caligula, Claudius, and Nero. Caligula, the first, had the distinction of being remembered as having... um, had his mom and his brother murdered to make sure that no one challenged his authority. How's that for emperor, president, what have you? Uh, He committed incest with his three sisters. He cross-dressed in public, and he made his favorite horse a senator, and then later a proconsul. He had the heads of statues of the gods removed and a bust of his own head placed on the statues of the gods throughout Rome. Then came Claudius. Claudius was equally cruel, um, but was poisoned by his wife um, in order to put their son Nero on the throne. Wives, next week, 
When we cover husbands and wives in that relationship, we'll kind of walk in detail what that can look like for you. Nero then came to control, and Nero uh, inaugurated the first of ten major persecutions uh, of Christianity that began in 64 AD. He ordered his soldiers to set massive fires throughout the city of Rome, and after nine days of his city burning to the ground, he blamed it on Christians. Nero had Christians tied in sacks, lit them on fire to illuminate his garden parties, took Christians, threw them to the lions where they were torn apart. Peter himself was crucified upside down on a cross by Nero's soldiers somewhere between about 65 and 67 A.D. Guys, in America, we have no idea what that looks like, by God's grace. But we are just beginning to experience the growing hostility that is very much real and is very much there towards Christianity. So I would say to you in this country as Christians who are also Americans, be thankful for the Bill of Rights that you have and be thankful that it has given us currently a freedom of religion. Be thankful that it has given us free speech and honor it. Be thankful that it has given us the right to peaceful protest and honor it. It isn't perfect. It's not. But it is a gift from God, and it is not a promised gift. What is promised is eternity with Jesus, and that though we may suffer in this life, that we will see Him one day. That is what is promised. The Scripture goes on. It says, put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. That sounds good. We've got some foolish people, we've got some ignorant people who love to talk, thinking about foolish and ignorant people. Would you say in general they are loud or quiet? Loud, right? Yes, they are loud. So should we then, says the Scripture, should we join with them in their being loud and in their arrogance? No. Should we argue, spew hate, half-truths? or all-out lies? Should we assume that complex issues can be settled in a meme or a tweet? No. We should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. How? <laughs> Have you ever tried? How? What does the Scripture say? Make them silent by doing good. That's not necessarily what my heart wants to do, but that's what the Scripture calls us to do. And let me just add this, add this in. Um, we are 108 days from the election. Um, it is not going to get less intense between now and that point. People's opinions are not going to become quieter between now and that point. Um, I was challenged by a, a word from uh, J.D. Greer on this. And he said, your allegiance to Christ is above all including your allegiance to your political affiliation. Right, we get that, right? He said, if you're not sure if you have those in order, that Christ is still first and your political party is second or somewhere not first, um, he said, give yourself this test. And you can give yourself this test for the next 108 days. He said, when you don't support somebody, a platform, a person, a candidate, someone who is in office, when you don't support them, do I praise the good that exists within them uh, as well as criticizing the bad? Hmm. Am I willing to praise the good and not just criticize the bad? And the flip side of that as well, when you do support a candidate, a platform, a party, a person, 
Do you criticize the bad in addition to praising the good? That's one practical way we can communicate that we're different, that Jesus is our King. The Scripture goes on and says, as free men, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil. You have been made free in Christ, says the Bible, from sin and from death. And if you're free, Scripture says, therefore you are God's servant or God's slave. If you are free, you are God's slave, and He has called you to suffer for His glory and the cause of Christ, as well as it being for your good. Okay? But not, not this, not those people over there, they did something wrong. Therefore, I get to do something wrong. You see the difference? Injustice does not resolve more injustice. It escalates it. They did something wrong over there, therefore I get to do something wrong. No, 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 no. Do not use your freedom to cover up evil and to get real practical at the moment in our culture. Guys, rioting and looting or stealing and burning down cities is wrong. Do not justify if you see an injustice to bring more injustice against it. Attacking violently or disrespecting cops who had nothing to do with any of those situations, it is wrong, says the Scripture here. Now, do we understand and do we join in grief over the deaths of men like Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd? Yes, I hope so. I pray so. Yes, absolutely. We grieve in their unjust death. Were they killed unjustly? Yes. Pastor Mark Driscoll, on this same topic and passage, he says, though, when, when these things happen, when injustices happen, don't pull them to the left. Don't pull them to the right. Pull them up to God. Pull them up to God. In submitting, then, to the emperor, we don't have an emperor, we have a president, we have a congress, etc. In submitting to the emperor, though, we never disobey the commands of God. You understand what I'm saying there? Don't miss this. We are to submit to authority for the Lord's sake, it says, unless it forbids us from doing what God commands or commands us to do what God forbids. The government tells us that we can no longer preach the good news of the gospel. If the government says that we can no longer speak that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and that in Him is eternal life and hope and salvation, if they say you cannot talk about that anymore, we say no. I cannot stop speaking the good news, and we will not change the message. If the government says worship the emperor as God, like Rome did, we say no. There is one Lord and Savior over all. We have to continue to honor God who lovingly made marriage between one man and one woman. There are marriages in this country of other types that we cannot and we will not perform in Christ's church. We must continue to honor God's word regarding the value of human life in the womb. So if you're a doctor or a nurse and you are told in some cases that legally you are compelled to perform that abortion, you say, no, I cannot and I will not. 
and we reject abortion in all of its heinous forms. Where there are bad cops who flaunt the law, we call their sin what it is, wickedness, we call it out. Where there is racism personally or systematically, we reject it. And this brings us to honoring the emperor does not mean that we cannot speak out and it, against evil or exercise godly civil disobedience. And, and I would beg you, be humble as we walk through the Scripture. Be discerning and do not take anything as license to do what we want, but submit everything to the Word of God and prayer and patience because the, the tone of this passage is to suffer through difficult circumstances. But we do have biblical examples of speaking out against evil and exercising godly civil disobedience. In the Old Testament, do you remember there was these Hebrew midwives in the book of Exodus? Does this ring a bell? There were these women who were in charge of delivering the new Jewish babies, and the Egyptians came to them during slavery, and what did they say? They said, any children born, any boys born, you are to kill them. They said, no, I will not. I will not kill an infant. I will not commit murder. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, we just watched their story. They said, we will not pray to the emperor. They said, we will not worship the emperor. What happened? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown in a fire. Daniel was thrown in a pit of lions, but they said no. Peter, Peter, interestingly, Peter himself gives us two examples, one of what I would say is ungodly civil disobedience and one that is godly civil disobedience. Do you remember the ungodly one? The soldiers are about to take Jesus away on the night that he was betrayed. And Peter says, no, 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 this can't possibly be the way. Your suffering and your death can't be the way. So what does he do? He picks up a sword, his terrible aim. He swings and he cuts off the ear of Melchus. And what does Jesus do? What does he do? Heals it. Jesus heals it. And he says, put the sword down. It was not God's way. It was ungodly civil disobedience. But then Peter learns. Do you remember in Acts chapter 5? The Jewish leaders and priests say, you may not talk about Jesus. Peter says, I have no choice. I must obey the Lord. And so we will preach. We will declare the good news. It says that many, many were saved and that he and those that were preaching with him were arrested, were beaten, were thrown into jail. And it says that they counted it an honor and a joy to suffer with Jesus. Godly civil disobedience now from, from Peter. Notice even in those examples, sometimes God protected His people from the consequences of their obedience. Sometimes He didn't. You understand, they suffered the consequences of putting Jesus first. There was suffering and death that took place. So this point ends, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. So when you don't like who's in the White House or you don't like who's in Capitol Hill, we can honor them by praying for them. We can respect and honor them. 
We can love our fellow believers. If you disagree with me, we can agree to disagree. Winning the person, somehow we have forgotten as a culture, winning the person is more important than winning the argument. Amen? This says love the brotherhood. It's talking about Christians that are arguing. Love the brotherhood. Respect everyone. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Honor the emperor. Fear God. God first. How different would our country look right now if we just took that sentence seriously? Guys, let's be the church so that those who have not experienced Christ yet would see what it looks like, that they would come to know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. And parents, let's teach our kids how to do it. With our words and actions, let's honor those, even if we disagree with them. I may tell my child one day, are your words honoring and kind and respectful? And then my words are trash. Let's make sure that we're teaching them the truth. Because Jesus said, two greatest commandments, love God, love your neighbor. Number two, be subject to earthly masters because Christ suffered for you. Verses 18 to 21 now on the screen, look in your scripture, in your Bibles with me. Servants, again, very often translated slaves, and we'll we'll dig deeper there. Be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to you, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. So now the easy stuff. That's a joke. Servants and slaves. Let's talk about that. Peter begins and he says, be subject, again, or submit to your masters. And then he says, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Many have read the Scripture or maybe heard the Scripture in some form or fashion. They say, see, it's a racist book. It's a privileged book. It's an outdated book. Let's look at the Scripture. First of all, in our minds and our hearts, because where we are in this world, we go to American history first, and that's a part of our history, so that makes sense. But in order to understand, we have got to go back to Roman history, where this was actually taking place when Peter wrote the book. In Peter's day, 50% of the entire Roman Empire were slaves or bond servants. 50% of the population was in some form of slavery or servitude. By comparison, in America, in the Civil War era, it was about 10% that were slaves. In the Roman Empire, though, it is far more complex and diverse what is taking place in that 50%. So there are essentially, if we could boil it all down, there are about three different categories of slave or servants that are taking place in the Roman Empire when Peter is writing this letter and explaining to us how we are supposed to handle it. The first is easy. The first was prisoners of war, and we can kind of understand that from our own times and culture. Daniel was a servant or a slave who was a prisoner of war in Babylon. Um, Many examples we have in Scripture of believers 
in this position who trusted God. For example, Naaman's prisoner of war servant girl in the Old Testament, if you remember that story, she, this little girl, young girl, maybe a teenager, she actually leads her captor to saving faith in God with her testimony as a prisoner of war. Some of them, like Daniel, eventually gained their freedom. Some did not. The second category is bond servants. And you'll see bond servants, that language in Scripture very often as well. This is a very broad category in itself, the second category. It is very important to understand bond servants had nothing to do with race. You were not made a bond servant based on race. And it almost always was not a lifetime situation. It was a temporary amount of time. Because bond servants in that era, um, it was often a business or a legal agreement, some sort of a contract that you voluntarily, and that's important, you voluntarily entered into most often because you were in debt. And so you could sign up to essentially become an indebted bond servant. 1 Corinthians specifically directly talks about this kind. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 20 to 23. This is Paul speaking on the topic. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bond servant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bond servant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, Paul's saying, were you a bondservant when you became a Christian, when you were called to Christ? Don't worry about it, but if you can get free, then get free. Your true freedom, however, is that Jesus has brought you from death to life. This was not necessarily a sinful arrangement, unlike the third category that we're coming to. But certainly, it would have had its fair share of difficulty and suffering. And so, Peter and now Paul are speaking into those believers' lives and encouraging them as they suffer. Mark Driscoll says of this, sort of a a helpful connection to our own world, uh, just because you become a Christian doesn't mean you don't have to pay back your student loans. That's kind of the bondservant idea. Number three, the slave trading the buying and selling of human beings. This is also very much happening in Rome, and certainly this is exactly what is happening or was happening in slavery in America. This passage here that we are reading in Peter, it is important to acknowledge, has been twisted, has been manipulated in the past to justify slavery in America. This passage in the past has been used to minimize the injustice of the trading of human beings as slave, the selling of human beings as slave. Scripture is going to be completely clear that it is sin and that it is wrong. The American slave trade, in all of its forms and all of its times and places, was vile, was wrong. Jim Crow laws after the Civil War in all their various forms were evil, The buying and selling and inhumane and violent treatment of human beings made in the image of God is a shameful part of our American history and our human history. And there were Christians in America in previous generations who wrongly justified the existence of its institution. We 
we grieve. We're disgusted by these facts. But we come to the Scripture and we see clearly that Peter and the Word of God as a whole make it clear that this is sin. The slave trade is sin. Look at 1 Timothy 1, 9, and 10, one of many verses that make this clear, but look at this in particular. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels. Listen to the list. The law is made for the righteous, not for… <laughs> we also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine. We should be outraged by every sin on this list. They are all wrong according to God's law. In the Roman Empire, all races were slaves. In America, it was a race-based system. One race were slaves. The Bible says of all of it, it is sin. It's always sin and it's always wrong. And more important, get this, more important than it being unjust is that it's ungodly because God Himself is the source of justice. If you want a biblical example, think about Joseph in the book of Genesis and then after him following him, the entire nation of Israel for 400 years were slaves in Egypt until God brought freedom, physical and spiritual freedom. But there is more to the role of Christianity historically. There was an African-American scholar named Thomas Sowell. He wrote one of the best works on slavery. He says that the efforts to stop slavery came from the Christianized West. Though slavery was universal, the Great Awakening, the preaching of men like John Wesley and the reforms of Christian statesmen like William Wilberforce, through their work, the gospel broke down a wicked system and institution. And it was continued to be carried out by other believers, most notably men like Martin Luther King Jr. in our own time and generations. Understand, the world is broken. We've, we look at this and we're disgusted by the brokenness of the world. The gospel tells us that all we need to know about the solution is in Jesus, is in the Scripture. The Scripture gives us a story of creation, fall, redemption, restoration. And understand what I'm about to say these are ideas that are actively attacked and rejected in our country right now. This is not popular stuff. This is not on the New York Times bestseller list. Creation, all people were and are created in the image of God. Amen? Adam and Eve were created perfectly before the fall. There is one race made up of all nations descended from Adam and Eve. God made it good, creation, and then the fall. And this is important too because every person is a sinner who has personally rebelled against God. 
sin has equally. This is a big controversy, but not in the Scripture. Sin has equally affected every person, every culture, every race, every system, every institution, every economic status, meaning rich or poor, still a sinner. And every nation was affected by the fall. But that's not the end of the story. Creation, fall, redemption. Jesus came to break the chains of slavery to our sin and chains of death for all who will believe. Jesus made a way of eternal salvation from sin for every tribe, every tongue, and every nation, says Matthew 28. Jesus broke down, get this, the dividing wall of sin between God and humanity. But then Ephesians tells us this, it goes further, it says that Jesus broke down the wall, the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile which means the dividing wall of hostility, even ethnically, among races, Jesus has already broken down the dividing wall. Only Jesus. And in His restoration, creation, fall, redemption, and we look forward to a moment eternally of restoration. But restoration begins the moment you believe. Do you know that? Restoration begins, it's not finished yet, but restoration begins the moment that you believe new life and real repentance and turning away from sin is promised the moment that you believe in Jesus. Though this world is broken, we look forward to eternity in a perfect place, a place that Maryland is now seeing Jesus face to face, a place called heaven. We will see God, good and loving Father God. And so Peter says to slaves and bondservants and prisoners of war, to this you have been called because Christ suffered for you. See, service to Christ transforms even slavery into freedom. That's a hard word. Unjust suffering, I think it makes us grateful for Jesus. He came down to suffer for you. We avoid suffering at all costs. Jesus pressed into it. Jesus left heaven to suffer for us. Jesus took off your chains and he put them on himself. Unjust suffering, it allows us to be comforted by Jesus. Jesus says, I know what it's like. I know what it's like. When you do what is right and you're judged by evil people, when you're a victim of someone else's domineering sin, I know what it's like. This is why Peter's saying what he's doing. And it's, it's hard, it's challenging for us to hear. But he is comforting those who are in the position of servant or slave, encouraging them that their ultimate freedom is in Christ. Number three, and finally, Christ was subject to suffering and to death to save you. Look at the last three verses, verses 22 through 25. Read along with me. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. 
For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Do get this. Jesus was sinless. Jesus is the only one who never sinned, the only one who can truly say, I am innocent. And He walked among us fully human. He never lied. He never rebelled. He never stole. He was never selfish or self-righteous. He never killed anyone. He was never unjust. Instead, He was holy. He was gracious. He was all-knowing and is. He is God. He is the King of all kings. He is the Lord of all lords. He is the emperor of all emperors. He is the president of all presidents. He is over all dictators and leaders and presidents, good and evil. He is the king, and he is worthy of his throne because he is sinless. And yet, what do we do to his authority? He was mocked. He was rejected. He was scorned by wicked people like me. He was lied about. He was falsely accused. He was hated. Understand that Jesus to use the language of the day, Jesus is the victim of your sinful injustice and mine. The Word of God, before it is binoculars to spy out somebody else's sin, right? it's a mirror to see what I've done wrong. The problem is not just out there, problem is in here. The problem is not just simply a system or a institution. The problem is every single person who makes up that system and institution is a sinner too. Every man and woman and child. We get so wrapped up in what other people have done to us. What we did to Jesus is worse. Don't take your sin lightly, this passage is saying, because our sin is cosmic treason that deserves death and deserves hell. Every single one of us has rebelled against God in big ways and in small ways. I abused God. I mistreated God, and you did too. We endure a lot of suffering, you know, because we sin. It's a different kind of suffering, right? We endure suffering because we've, we've sinned and we've made mistakes. Jesus endured suffering and he had done nothing wrong. Jesus lives as a victor, though, not as a victim. He suffered more than any other person in human history. He was mocked, he was beaten, he was whipped with whips filled with glass and metal and rock till his flesh was torn apart, who's forced to carry his own cross, the cross that we deserve to bear. Who's put through a farce trial, lied about, had a crown of thorns shoved into his head and a purple robe wrapped around him to mock his kingship, and we reject his authority in the same way. We reject his kindness and his grace in the same way. And then he was stripped naked, nails driven into his hands and his feet, and he bled, and he hung on a cross in pain and humiliation. Scripture says he himself bore our sins on the tree. He bore our sins. When he died, 
He paid permanently and fully the guilt for our sins so that all who will believe in Jesus might be saved. And when He rose, when He rose, when He rose, He conquered sin and Satan and death, and we too can be set free from the chains of slavery to our own sin. He died so we might die to sin, says this passage, and live instead to righteousness By His wounds you are healed. You can have new life. You can have eternity in heaven. And this passage, like every other, says, will you come? Will you come to Him in faith? Let's pray together.